0: As we prepare to hear the word of God, let's pray. God, thank you that we can come before you and hear your word. God, in this season, you know how greatly we need to hear a word from you. So I do pray that you would speak through me and that you would open up our hearts and our ears and our minds to hear what it is you have to say. Speak, O Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Well, this morning we are continuing our Lenten sermon series from darkness to light. And when we launched this series several weeks ago, we had no idea that our world would be in such a season of darkness. All around us, we see people suffering. People suffering from the coronavirus, people suffering from their loved ones being sick, people suffering from loss of work or income, people suffering with anxiety and stress and depression and just the being stir crazy and cabin fever going on. Uh, We have people suffering alone. And more than ever, I believe, we need to go on the journey from darkness to light. Today in the Christian calendar, it's Palm Sunday, and this commemorates Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey with people waving their palm branches and shouting Hosanna as a form of praise. But just in a few days after this, Jesus Christ enters the darkest period of his life. Just as many of us were suddenly thrust into the season of darkness, Jesus suddenly goes from the praises of Hosanna to the darkest night of his soul in what's called the Garden of Gethsemane. And I believe by looking at how Jesus handled the darkest period of his life, I believe we will, learn, we will be empowered to walk through this dark valley that we find ourselves in. So let me give you a little context about the story that we are looking at. And if you'd like to open up your Bibles at home or in your browser, you can turn to Matthew 26. We'll be looking at uh, verses 36 through 45. And But a little context about the story that we're getting into. Jesus had just entered entered Jerusalem as the coming king, and he's getting the, the praises of the people with Hosanna. But then Jesus starts stirring things up. He overturns the the tables at the temple where there are people exchanging money and buying and selling. And then he starts criticizing the Pharisees and he mentions something about the temple being destroyed and the important Jewish festival, Passover, is coming up and the religious leaders are fed up with it. They want Jesus dead. And so one of Jesus' closest friends, one of his disciples, Judas, agrees to betray Jesus for a price. Then the disciples go to the upper room to celebrate the Passover meal, what we know as the Last Supper. And Jesus tells his disciples that they're all going to deny him and run away. But Peter and the other disciples along with him, they say, no, Jesus, we will never disown you. We will never deny you. And that's where it brings us in the story to our text today, Matthew 26. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, And he said to them, sit here while I go, while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. We'll pause there. Jesus right now is facing the darkest time of his life. And he has this brief period in the Garden of the Gethsemane where he's just left the Last Supper and he is about to face his betrayal and arrest and suffering. And it's beginning to dawn on Jesus, what's about to happen? And so I think there's some lessons that we can, we can draw from this story. How did Jesus face the darkest trial of his life? And how can we face the seasons of darkness that we find ourselves in? Well, the first thing I want to point out from the story is that Jesus, in fact, faced immense suffering. Number one, Jesus faced immense suffering. After the Last Supper, Jesus goes to what's known as the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, this was an olive tree grove on the Mount of Olives that's very close to Jerusalem. And actually, when I was in seminary, I got to go to the traditional site of the Garden of, of Gethsemane. And there still is a grove of olive trees there. There may not be the original ones. But from that place, you can see the temple, or you can see where the temple was in modern times of Jerusalem. And it's just a very short distance to the city. And Jesus, after he leaves the Last Supper, he realizes he needs a place to pray. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But he says to the, the the 11 disciples who are left, because Judas has gone, he says to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And then he takes Peter and the the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought of Jesus as so immensely troubled? The miracle worker, the one who calms the wind and the waves, the teacher, the, uh, the great teacher of parables, who's done all these wonderful things, always has the answer when people criticize him, the risen Lord, Jesus Christ, Full of sorrow and turmoil. You see, though we believe Jesus is fully God, in the garden we see his full humanity. He's just like us. And something hits Jesus emotionally like a punch to the gut. He says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. You know, whenever uh, me and my brothers would do something crazy or something dangerous, my mother would say, You had me worried to death. He had me scared to death about what was going on. We kind of use a similar expression, don't we? And Jesus is saying, I'm overwhelmed to death. It's, I'm so distressed in my mind that it's killing me. And he could, he feels like he could die with the amount of suffering and anguish he is experiencing in his soul. Have you ever felt such deep anguish? Have you ever felt so troubled you didn't know what to do? In fact, Luke tells us that Jesus was so anguished that, being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and sweat like drops of blood were falling to the ground. now that 's kind of a crazy thing to think about, but this is actually a uh, medical condition that happens under extreme stress. it 's cal- it's called hematidrosis, and it happens when the capillary blood vessels that go to your sweat gland they can rupture under extreme physical or emotional distress. So we know Jesus is suffering deeply in the garden. Why? Why is he suffering so much? Well, certainly Jesus knows that he is about to go to the cross. He's been predicting and prophesying that this would happen, that he would be handed over to the chief priests and the elders to be crucified. And he has a sense that he is about to be executed. Perhaps that alone is enough to make any one of us go under extreme anguish, to know and to envision how we're about to die. But on the other hand, many people over the years have faced martyrdom with bravery and resolve. So we have to ask the question, is there something different about what Jesus is facing than just knowing he's about to die? Well, I believe the scripture points to that being just the case. There's something different going on here. Let's look at what the Bible says. Verse 39, Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Now, Jesus is asking for a cup to be taken away. Now, this cup is not just a way of saying, may this situation be taken away. May my my suffering be taken away. Because all throughout the Bible, the cup is used as a symbol for the judgment of God upon upon evil. It's called in the Bible, the cup of his anger or the cup of his wrath. Let me give you one example from the Bible in Psalm 75. Verses 7 through 8 says, It is God who judges. He brings one down. He exalts another. In the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out. And who drinks it? All the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. See, the cup, it's a symbol for God's judgment upon evil. And Jesus is heading to the cross to drink the cup of God's wrath, the cup of God's judgment upon sin. Jesus is going to receive our judgment and die in our place. And so Jesus is in turmoil, not just over his own death, but also what it will mean to take upon the sin and judgment of the whole world. You know, many people today say, well, I don't believe in a God of wrath or judgment. I just believe in a God of love. In fact, Tim Keller says people will come to him and say, well, I believe in a God of love, but I don't believe in Jesus in the cross. And he says, my answer is, is, what did it cost your God to love you? And their answer is always, well, nothing. And I say, well, the biblical God doesn't just say I love you. He has done something about it. Friends, God's love for us, it's true love because it was costly and self sacrificing. Our sins separate us from a holy God. And yes, God will judge us for our sins, and, he, and certainly he is severe towards sin as it's revealed on the cross. But also the depth of his love is revealed on the cross too. God was willing to become one of us, to take upon the sin of the whole world and nail it to the cross. And he did it for sinners just like us. While we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. And so Jesus is wrestling in the garden of what it will mean to experience the full judgment of God for all human sin, past, present, and future. And this is comfort to us because when we go through suffering, we can remember that Jesus is no stranger to suffering. He is no stranger to pain. He is called the man of sorrows for a reason. And the writer of Hebrews draws out this implication for us by saying, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may, what? Receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus knows our suffering He knows our pain, and he empathizes with our weaknesses. So we can receive mercy from him because he has gone to the greatest depths of suffering humanly possible. So Jesus faced immense suffering. The second thing I want to point out from this text is that Jesus grieves his suffering with others. That's number two. Jesus grieves his suffering with others. And I think this is absolutely astonishing. The Son of God, The one who had uh, no break in his relationship with God. There was no sin separating him. He always had connection with the Father. That one, Jesus Christ, he wanted human companionship in his time of trial. And so he invites the 11 disciples to come to the the Garden of Gethsemane. But then he invites Peter, James, and John to come with him further. The whole group was not invited. Uh, They had 11, so the group was bigger than 10. 10. That was against the CDC recommendations. So Jesus did a little bit of social distancing there and said, you guys stay over here. I'm taking Peter, James, and John with me, and we're going over here. But in all in all seriousness, we all need close companions when we enter times of trial and suffering. Jesus, look at Jesus did. He took Peter, James, and John with him. He made sure that he wasn't going to go through this dark night alone. And then I love how Jesus expresses his sorrow to his friends. He tells them, he verbalizes it out loud, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. You know, the disciples were so finicky in their love for Jesus. They're falling asleep on him in this text, but they also, they did not take the initiative to ask how he was feeling. Okay, Lord, we we see that you're a little downcast in spirit. Uh, How are you doing, Jesus? How can we pray for you? There was none of that. They did not ask him. Jesus told them. Jesus verbalized here's what I'm going through here's what I'm experiencing in the depths of my soul you may not see it you may not know it but I'm going to tell you and friends as a fellow Christian on the journey I want to invite you to know that it's important to invite others into your burden into your struggle into your suffering and grief so share your suffering and grief with a few trusted companions we are not meant to bear the burdens of this life alone, we are not strong enough. If Jesus Christ, in his humanity, needed to share his burden with other people, how much more do we need to share our burdens with others? The Apostle Paul said, Carry each other's burdens and you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, sometimes these burdens are obvious things that people go through and we can just be there for people. We can just show up and be there not to say anything. And sometimes that's obvious. But often it's not obvious. And so, if you're struggling with something, if you have something that is burdening you, burdening you. If you have if this time of this season of quarantine of, of being sheltered in place, if this is hard, I invite you not as an additional burden, but as a path to healing. I invite you to follow Jesus. And to share your burden with some trusted friends. Let them know you're struggling. Let them know how you're doing. And so Jesus in the garden, he teaches us the power of sharing our grief and our suffering with others. That's number two. Jesus grieves the, with others. Number three, Jesus, us, G- Jesus teaches us to face suffering by lament and prayer. Jesus teaches us to face suffering by lament and prayer. After he takes Peter, James, and John with him, verse 39 says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Now, there are many insights in this small amount of text about how to pray in the midst of suffering. First, notice how Jesus fell to the ground. About a year and a half ago, I gave a sermon about the position of our bodies in worship and prayer. There's something about what we do with our bodies that helps what's in our head connect with our heart. And sometimes we need to do that. Now, I don't think Jesus really needed to do anything intentionally here. This was so natural because Jesus was so desperate. He had to fall on the ground because he knew out of his deep sorrow, there is only one person who can help me with what I'm going through. It's so deep, it's so full of anguish, I have to fall on my face to the one who can help. You know, I think it's very appropriate, appropriate and if not providential that our church, as we're journeying through the Bible over these two years, we are just now getting to the book of Psalms. Because the Psalms teach us how to lament. They teach us how to name our suffering in the presence of God. And this is how we can face it. And let me just give you one example. The Psalm is filled with examples of praying these kinds of prayers. But Let me give you one. Psalm 39, verses 9 through 10. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eye is consumed with sorrow, and also my throat and my belly. For my life is wasted with grief, and my years with sighing. My strength fails me because of affliction, and my bones are consumed. Clearly, this person is feeling grief through their whole body. And they name all of this sorrow in the Lord's presence. They took it to the Lord in prayer. Isn't it comforting to know that it's not wrong to be filled with grief and anxiety and anguish? It's not wrong to tell God how you're truly feeling, how messed up you feel like your life is, how messed up you feel like the world is. It's not wrong to tell God what you're going going through, and it's not wrong to feel it either. In fact, it's not wrong. It's actually the path to spiritual strength and substance and healing in the midst of the suffering. Courageous lament, naming our suffering in God's presence, that helps move us over time. It's a journey, it's a process, but it helps move us from darkness to light. It lets the light begin to shine in. So Jesus falls to his knees, and then he prays, My Father. So in prayer, we start by acknowledging who we pray to. Jesus taught us to pray our father, right? And so we start off by remembering he is our father, a good father who loves us, who cares for us, and who is concerned about our every need. So Jesus goes to his father, then he says, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. May this judgment of the whole world be taken from me. If there's any other way to save humanity, let me not bear it. If there's another way in the divine plan, let there be another way. And we know the answer that Jesus got back. It's not possible. There is no other way. The Bible says there is one name under heaven by which we can be saved and that name is Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But Jesus in his full humanity, he had fear and dread over this plan. He had fear about going to the cross. And so he prayed for another way and we know that that part of his prayer was not answered. How many of you have ever had prayers go unanswered. But no, you know, when even when prayer does not go our way, that doesn't mean prayer is useless. It doesn't mean prayer didn't make a difference. Now, I'm a parent of a toddler. Uh, my daughter, my sweetheart, Daisy, she's almost three years old. Next month, we're really excited. Um, and I've told you before, but I have to say no to her all the time. No, you cannot eat candy before dinner. No, you cannot have a ring pop before bed. No, we cannot watch another TV show before uh right now. But I have to tell you, what I've noticed is oftentimes when she asks for something, I realize what she is maybe really asking for, or, or maybe I could say I realize what she really needs. So daddy, can I watch TV? And I say, oh honey, I know I can see it on your face. I know you want to watch TV, but you want to watch it because you're, you're actually just really tired and what you need is sleep. I mean, let's get ready for bed. I'll put you to bed. Or, Daddy, can I have a treat? Can I have a, can I have a, a, a piece of candy? I'll say, honey, I've seen what you a- eat all day, and I know you're asking for that right now, but you're asking that because your body really is searching for nutrients. And I need to, we need to feed you dinner. So let's have dinner first. That's what you really need. So our, prayer, friends, our prayers to God are not wasted. Because when we come to him with our requests, he knows what we really need. He knows what we need. And so when we come to him with our requests, he will provide what we actually need. But, th- but even naming these requests, that's how we face our suffering and our difficulties. Look what the Apostle Paul said about this, Philippians 4. What, don't we need this promise? And this is not necessarily, I don't, I don't necessarily read this as a command. I read this as a gift. I read this as a promise. This is possible because of the gospel of Jesus. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul says, verbalize your request to God. Tell God what you want. Tell God what you're going through. Tell God what you need. Bring it to your Father. And then it doesn't say, He's going to grant your requests. doesn't say he's going to give you everything that you ask for. But what what does it say? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. What we really need, the peace of God, the guarding of our hearts and minds in his presence, that's what we really need. And that's what happens when we take it all to the Lord in prayer. And this is also, friends, what happened to Jesus. In the the account in Luke, it tells us that an angel from heaven appears and strengthens him while while he's praying. Now, notice this. The Father did not take Jesus out of the battle of his life, but he did send reinforcements to overcome it. Often, God doesn't take us out of our battles. He doesn't take us out of the trial, but he does send us strength. He does send us reinforcements so that we can overcome our battles. Jesus' prayer was not in vain, and our prayers will not be in vain either. And in this time of prayer, Jesus comes to grips with what God is doing. He he already knew, knew the plan, but he comes to the place where he is ready to follow through on God's plan to, for Jesus to suffer on behalf of the world. So Jesus prays, Yet not as I will, but as you will. May this cup pass, but not as I will. Lord, here's what I want, but not as I will, but as you will. Your will be done, not just on earth, but in my life as well. So for many of us, we're coming to terms with the fact that we're not in control of our lives. This coronavirus situation, we have, qu- we have quickly realized how much we don't control. But actually, we haven't really lost control. We've lost the illusion that we had control in the first place. So we might as well submit to the one who is Lord of all. And so we do this through prayer and as we, as we surrender our lives to him, we will gain strength to face whatever valley God allows us to walk through. Jesus wrestled in prayer and because of that, now he was ready to face the task God had given him to do. I like what William Barclay says here. Jesus rose from his knees to go out to the battle of, lo- of life. That is what prayer is for. In prayer, we enter heaven that we may face the battles of earth. And that is what Jesus did. So that brings me to our final point today. Number four, Jesus courageously suffers in order to save us. Jesus courageously suffers in order to save us. So Jesus has many interactions. He, he's, he sees the disciples falling asleep. They're not praying with him. And so he returns to them in verse 45. And he says, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go, here comes my betrayer. So the disciples, they've been, fall, they've been failing to pray, they've been falling asleep. And because of that, we know they're about to fail the test. They will scatter, and they will disown Jesus, even though they said they wouldn't. And Peter will deny Jesus three times. They weren't ready because they failed to pray. But Jesus, on the other hand, he's now ready Look how he has changed. He says, rise, let us go. In other words, it's time to face this battle head on. I'm ready. In fact, a later writer in the New Testament will say, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. How did Jesus go from being full of anguish and praying to bypass the cross? Now, he might not be over that, but now he has a joy set before him that he's going to endure this. And I believe he got a glimpse of that joy because in prayer, he was reminded and he came to a greater awareness of God's plan to use his suffering, to use his sacrificial death to save each and every one of us. Friends, there's an old worship song that says to Jesus, you took the fall and thought of me above all. Jesus suffered and died To save you yes you the Apostle Paul could say the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me and I believe when you look at this story you can see your Savior Jesus in the garden agonizing in great anguish over facing the judgment of God over being betrayed by his friend being beaten and arrested and the crown of thorns going on his head being whipped and and being nailed to the cross. And somehow he had a joy before him that was going to allow him to endure that. And that joy was knowing that he, by doing that, would save you. That he would provide the means to reconcile you to God. He loved you and gave himself for you. He received our penalty. He died in our place. He died our death so that we might live a new life with him forever. You know, I think lately we've all been coming to grips with the reality of death. That we or someone we know could could die suddenly. And perhaps you've wondered, what happens after this life? What happens when we die? Where, Where do we go? Well, the Bible says we will stand before God. We will meet our creator and there will be a judgment for the things that we've done in this life, whether good or bad. But the good news is, Jesus died in our place. He took the condemnation of the sins that we would have received. He took them instead so that we could have eternal life with God. And when you believe and trust in Christ, we are brought into relationship with Jesus and we are saved forever. And not only does the cross, friend save us for eternal life, but it also empowers us to face this season of darkness that we are in right now. And I've been meditating on Romans 8 and I want to bring this word to you. Look what this says because of what Jesus has done, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall so tr- so trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or the coronavirus or, or sheltering in place or anxiety or stress or any of these things? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. And his love will sustain you through, through all the situations that you face. In him and in his love, we are more than conquerors. We can overcome Anything the world or the enemy throws our way because of Jesus Christ. That's the good news we have, friends. That's our hope. Let me recap what we've said today. Jesus faced immense suffering. So friends, take courage that Jesus can empathize with all of your suffering and your pain. And he's ready to help. Jesus also grieved his suffering with others. And so I want to ask you, who do you need to share your burdens with this week? Maybe your care group or small group, that's a great place to start at church. Uh, But don't journey this season alone and don't struggle alone. Invite someone to share your burden with you. And Jesus also, he faced his suffering by lament and prayer. And so I want to ask you, what are you turning to these days to deal with your stress and worry and your fear? What are you turning to? There are many things, many things that we can do that uh, provide enjoyment, but I want to remind you, That God is the only one we need. And he is the one who provides what our souls long for. And finally, remember that Jesus courageously suffered to save us. And so I want to ask you, who needs to hear the good news of Jesus this week? Is there somebody in your life that you've been waiting to tell and you just haven't taken that step yet? Maybe this week is finally the time to let them know the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, as you go through this season of darkness, look upon the Savior in Gethsemane. He knows, he understands, he deeply loves you. And nothing at all can separate you from his life-giving love.